Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. So, it's Noah? That's what it looks like. We moved up north, so we got some of that Canadian internet filtering down. Just trickling over the border. Apparently, yes, I'll uh, that wall. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, we wouldn't blame you. Uh, I did want to say happy chopping mall day. I didn't realize until I was scrolling through uh, social media that apparently chopping mall was released on this day in 1986. No. Now I'm just excited. Can we cancel the podcast and go watch it? <laughs> done and done. No, no, right. anyway. Well, it's been fun. Later. <laughs> uh, so you haven't had internet problems for a while. Do you think your new house is better fitted for internet since you had to rebuild it? Um, maybe. Maybe it's just like new lines run on the outside. Yeah. Maybe Noah That's should probably... burn. Maybe Noah should burn his house down. I'm actually thinking it probably has more to do with switching over to fiber optic internet. And oh, that'll definitely be it. Because ever ever since I got fiber optic, I've had zero problems with my internet. Yeah, like <laughs> my old internet provider was a bit cheaper, but it was. Um, just not as good and they really screwed themselves when I, uh, when my house burned down and they charged me because their router got destroyed in my fire <laughs> so i'm like well i'm not going back to them and then Fuck you and then that's when i just decided to go with the fiber optic and it's really convenient too like if you know you're going to be moving because if you're you just bring your router with you and you don't have to reset up anything with fiber optic stuff, at least with the company we have here. Mm-hmm. So like it's the same network, so you don't have to like everything just automatically connects to it, which is fun. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We had evil Comcast down here. So <clears throat> I was begging for someone else to show up so I can get rid of them. They yeah. finally did. It was a company my friend worked for, so that I felt even better. I'm like, oh, I can help my friend out with his job and get better internet. Yeah. Well, weirdly, in order to get better internet, I switched to the evil corporation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went the opposite way. But it's like a sub-corporation of the evil corporations. So oh. I use the 
instead of going to the store in the mall to talk to people, I go to the booth in the mall that's owned by the same company. <laughs> and my stuff has different stickers on it, but yeah. to get the install done, it's like the guys literally pull up in the van with the other company's logos on it. Like <laughs> that's the company I hate. That's why I went to this other company that I, you know, you're all the same. They hate telecommunications up here is getting bad where it's like there's like five of them and they cover everything but they all have these like discount brands underneath them so that you think you're avoiding dealing with the guys you don't like but you can't get away from them yeah you know what other industry that applies to all of the other industries (laughs) everything it's like it's like there's five billionaires that own literally everything now so well, I went back to Comcast to try to get my billing history. I was like, I need uh, I need access to my old bills because I don't have copies of them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, as soon as you disconnect, we can't access all that stuff. Like, really? Yes, you can. There's, there's no, no one way. believes that. <laughs> no, I didn't believe it either. I'm like, really? There's nothing you could do? Lady's like, no, all that shows up is that you've been disconnected. It doesn't let me access anything else. So, like, if the government came along <sighs> and wanted to do some sort of audit on them and needed to see those records, they couldn't find them. Or right. just they can't right. find them for you because you're not a paying customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, I texted my ex-wife to be like, hey, all those bills that went into your email account, can you send me copies? Uh, I'll leave. That's I'll, thing you get to ask for it. I'll leave you to venture on uh, if I even got a response at all. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently I will not be claiming internet on my taxes for last year for for all my freelance work. I don't know. I I, I feel that your ex-wife should have responded to you and provided you with that information or advised you if there's a reason why she can't. Oh, no, no. She she doesn't. She doesn't. uh, She doesn't reply because I I asked her and like a month went by and then I asked her again and didn't get a response. So then I text my friend who she is still friends with. I was like, hey, I don't know if she has me blocked, which is fine if she does, but can you just tell her to forward this stuff to me? And my friend was like, yep, I'll let her know. And then uh, have not heard a thing. So good times. I feel that that stuff's not forthcoming. That's my guess. <laughs> no, no, I just have to discount it. It's not the end of the world, but. No, I know. It's frustrating. <laughs> Just would be nice to have something to uh, deduct for my taxes for the year. But do. No. The women, right? No. Just like uh, if we were like greaser punks hitting on women in these movies. Just like if we were that. Yeah. <laughs> How did we become the greaser punks in this when we were complaining about the women? I thought they were the bad guys in our story. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, they're always getting us into trouble, just like the women in these movies get these guys into trouble. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're covering two S.E. Hidden movies that were both directed by Francis Ford Coppola and both star Matt Dillon and a cadre of other people who are famous. And both came out in 1983. Yes. And both have cameos from uh, Sofia Coppola. Yes. <laughs> both have Diane Lane as the love interest and 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 both have Palm Waits in them somehow. Yeah. Like, uh, I think I saw Chris Penn in both of them. It's Chris Penn in The Outsiders. I don't think he has a speaking part, but I think the big rumble at the end when they're doing the, the he's just one of those guys pan across. I think he's one of the the greasers. Yeah. Yes. Um. Very much uh, a heavy carryover of cast from one to the other. <laughs> so. Uh. So which one do you want to run down? Um, I don't know. <laughs> the release order goes Outsiders and then Rumblefish. So All right. Start with the Outsiders. Yeah, go with the Outsiders. All right. So the Outsiders, um, basically there's a rivalry. I think it's supposed to be the 1950s and there's a rivalry between two groups. There's kind of the, the greasers who live on the poor part of town. No, no. I said the Outsiders, not Rumblefish. Yeah, that's why I refer to them specifically as producers, where they're not specifically referred to as that in Rumblefish. Sure. Um, we'll get into the differences between the two movies as this goes on. But um, anyways, yeah, so then there's the Socias that are like spoiled rich kids. And the movie makes it pretty clear that the, even though everyone thinks that the poor kids are the problem because they wear grease in their hair and their, their jeans all the time. But really, it's the socials that are the problem. So then one night, these two dudes are uh, at the drive-in. And they are being nice to some girls, so they get to sit with them. Which, of course, the boyfriends of the girls don't like. So they track those kids down in a park later. And uh, results in one of the rich kids getting stabbed to death. Which sends our two main characters on the run, which is... I'm not going to remember any of the names in this movie except for Soda Pop and Pony Boy because it's the two most ridiculous ones. I mean, but uh, you have to remember Pony Boy, and that's it. Yeah, so it's Pony Boy and and the other guy might be Johnny, but it might not be. So uh, <laughs> it's I been a day since I watched this. We all know him as Daniel Larusso. That's the only name yes. he to go by. It's C. Thomas Howell and Ralph Macchio, and it's like I, I'm not. I don't need to learn character names if it's going to be those two. <laughs> so. Well, it's um, ridiculous that every main character in this movie is somebody famous. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, well, like basically they're on the run, they're hiding out. Um, they end up they, they they turn to this like kind of more troubled youth, which is Matt Dillon. That's who they go to for help. So his advice is take a gun and go hide in a church. Um then there's this really weird event that happens where they're they're away from the church for a day. When they come back, it's on fire and there are children inside it which is weird because it's an abandoned church yeah like they, why the fuck were they there they go in there to to save the kids and uh become sort of heroes and the karate kid dies in the hospital and see thomas howell learns an important lesson about how you have to stay hopeful and do the right thing and then finally it ends with a big fight between the two gangs that they've sort of been hinting at the whole movie yeah do you want to run through the cast just in case, or do you, do you have it, Freddie? Uh, <laughs> like it's it's amazing the cast of this movie. 
just the, on on the one side, on the greaser side. Yeah. Well, I will say one of them is not Chris Penn. I just looked up his IMDb. He was he was not listed as being in the Outsiders. Unless he's an extra, in which case, if if he yeah. didn't have a speaking part, he could be considered an extra and not get credited. Yeah. So some, still- sometimes they do list stuff and then put uncredited next to it, but I don't know. Um. So that was I was not correct. So I, got, I apparently saw some dude who looked like Chris Penn. Chris uh, Penn at this age looked like a, one of these Soch guys with that kind of slick back hair. That's not it's not slick back. It's just kind of that natural weird Italian hair that you can just comb straight back and it just stays back. Yeah. And then, you know, the just that little bit chubby, but still kind of in good shape. Like he, you put khakis in a sweater vest on that guy and he fits into that gang. So the greasers are made up of C. Thomas Owl, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, and Tom Cruise. It's so weird that like Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe are the background characters in that group. <laughs> right. Like, they're like the two brothers because it's the setup is um, Patrick Swayze is the oldest brother. The parents have passed away in like a car accident or something. Patrick Swayze is the oldest brother who was going to have like a college football career, but had to drop out to raise his younger brothers, which is Rob Lowe and see Thomas Howell and uh, fucking Tom Cruise, right? Uh, Tom, family? Tom Cruise. Is he not a brother? Is he just around all the time? Yeah, he's not a brother. He's just, I think he just works with Rob Lowe. So they're hanging out all the time. Oh, so they're hanging out with him. Okay. Yeah. I can, I mean, those are kind of background characters. It's yeah. His his name is Steve Randall, apparently. Okay. Not something cool like Soda Pop Curtis, like Rob Lowe. Or Two Bit Matthews, like Emilio Estevez. Or Pony Boy. Two Bit is his uh, real name, though. I think it's meant implied that it's uh, more of a nickname with him. It's just the one immediate family that has the funny names. Yeah, I don't know. It's listed on IMDb as Two Bit Matthews. So I can only. Only go by what they they post. Um, and then on the Soch side, you do have Leif Garrett, yeah. um, Diane Lane. Uh, I don't recognize anybody else, really. Um, no, Tom, was... Tom Waits is hanging out in there, too. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, yeah, it's mostly about the greasers, though. So that's the important yeah. part. Yeah, and I think the the whole idea of the movie is kind of to force society to look at these group of people and see them as human beings, you know, um, which is weird that you have to do that, but it's actually a good message to include. Like, it's like, oh, look at these kids. Like, yeah, they, they, they're not problematic just because they grew up in a poorer situation and don't dress like you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so what'd you think of the movie? I like this movie quite a bit. I hadn't seen it in year, like many, many years, right? Probably yeah. since like at least the nineties, maybe the late eighties. And I remembered liking it back then, but I couldn't remember what the heck it was about. I remembered mostly like weird scenes and stuff. I remember the scene where they like the two guys cut their hair, but I couldn't remember why they were doing it, you know? Um, so it was, it, it was almost like a first time watch. Um, and yeah, I think the it's acted really well. I mean, we went through the cast, but 
I think it's important to note that like most of these people are turning in performances that are better than you expect from them. Like Ralph mm-hmm. Macchio is not controversial. Maybe a, I don't want to get yelled at, <laughs> but he's not like known as a great actor. He had that yeah. role of the karate kid, but it's more a case of being cast. It's more a case of good casting, I think, with the karate kid. But in this, he's really yeah. excellent. Um, you know, and and C. Thomas Howell is really excellent, and he, you know, um, even Rob Lowe is really good in the, like the one big emotional scene they give him. Um, Emilio Estevez playing against character is quite good, right? Like he's. <laughs> Because this is around the Breakfast Club type time where he was known as that like preppy school athlete type kid. And here they put him in like greasy leather jacket and he's like just kind of an annoying guy that hangs around. And he's drunk yeah. at the drive in and harassing people and stuff. Not really causing trouble, but just kind of being annoying. Mm-hmm. And he plays it excellently. He even does a good job yeah. of playing drunk, which is very hard to do, I imagine, because most people do it so poorly. Um, it's like you can see some of the beginnings of that uh, sort of that goofy Billy the Kid persona that he would take on in Young Guns like a little bit of that is in there the the sort of playfulness in very bad situations you can definitely Mm -hmm. feel and then that the instant turn to mean there's the one scene where he's with the uh, he's he's with the other two kids when there's like a, a fight about to break out and all of a sudden you just see him go from like you know just laughing and joking and then all of a sudden when he when shit's about to get real he just snaps into serious mode and he's ready to go and you're like oh well breaks a bottle on the fence and hands it to somebody and then pulls out a knife yeah yeah he pulls out that butternut knife and like does that twirly thing with it that makes you know in shorthand movie logic that hey he's serious and he knows what he's doing with this blade yeah (laughs) and watching that transformation reminded me a lot of billy the kid it reminded me of that character that he creates later on who's like goofy and having fun, but maybe don't fuck with him because maybe, yeah. maybe you're going to yeah. regret it, you know? Yeah. And then like it's because it's later in the movie, you see him sneak into his friend's house and find a cake in the freezer and just sit down with a cake and a beer uh, in like the morning in front of cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I guess, but he's still got that knife in his pocket when he's got the cake and the beer. Like it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> So, but yeah, like I, all the performances are great, which is important because it's really a drama film. All the action stuff is kind of secondary. Um, but I, I also like the, the storyline of the idea of, you know, this sort of, um, really obvious setup of having these two, like very, very different groups of kids that kind of keep running into each other and, the idea being that we're supposed to learn that the ones that look like the bad guys aren't. And we see that, you know, when the two kids are separated and not part of they're like when they're living in that abandoned church for most of the movie, and they're not part of all this nonsense that's going on, all this random getting chased around by people and picking on and, you know, abusive homes and, yeah, you, you take them away from that. And it's like, they're just hanging out being boys. The one guy, like, is reading like gone with the wind to the other kid. And it's sort of like, on the one hand, you're like, it's like, you can see, okay, like these, 
yeah, like they went and saw Gone in the Wind in the movie theater and they liked it. And here they are like now sitting down wanting to read the book. But then also that one kid is like, could you read the book to me? So like we're still hinting at the fact that these are very underprivileged kids who were born into a shitty situation who probably don't have a great future, no matter how good they they try to be. Right. And you're, mm-hmm. they're kind of drawing attention to that, which I think in 1983 is still kind of early for that. You know what I mean? Like nowadays, if you try to tell that story, I think a lot of people are more open to that message. But back, back then, I don't think they were. Yeah, it seems like that was coming off as like a newer sort of uh, plot detail to point out. Um, for some reason, it brings to mind that uh, suburbia movie that we watched before for the show. Yeah. That was sort of like the mid to early to mid eighties as well. And it was just that. Yeah. Sometimes like people in broken homes and generally we speak of broken homes as like divorced people, but there's also like the super, like we even see like when Johnny goes home at some point, you can literally see the silhouette of his dad beating his mom in the window. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess with this. So they just go and hang out at like the lot next door and just do whatever they can for him not to have to go inside. Yeah. And I think like I I was never in these situations, but I think this is like a normal thing that happens in, in these types of situations where they just, these kids just don't want to go home. So what do they do? They just, they just go hang out with their friends and no. the, the sort of the weird cycle starts of, okay, well, now who are you going to hang out with at two in the morning? Because you don't want to go home. Well, who's out there? It's not going to be a bunch of 12-year-olds who do really good in math class. It's going to be kids that get into trouble. And it's they kind of drag yeah. into that. It's going to be Pony Boy because he doesn't want to go home either because his brother, yeah. he feels like his brother hates him. Yeah. And that, I mean, that family dynamic of having the Patrick Swayze character that you know, it's it's really interesting at the end when they have their big fight scene and he walks up and the guy he's going to start with is wearing like that Letterman jacket. Like he's OK. So like. The only reason that the Patrick Swayze character isn't on the other side is because his parents. Died. That's it. Right. Like he's he had to he had to quit school and get a job in order to keep his family together or else his little brothers would have been taken away. And so somehow he's supposed to be the bad guy, but really he's the hero of the story. He's the one that sacrificed everything to try to make his family work. And it's, it's, it's this strange dynamic that I think they do a good job of setting up and they don't, it's not in your face. It's not like, Hey, everybody look at this poor guy who suffers. It's just little lines of dialogue every now and again to remind you that he's doing this, you know? Yeah. If anything, they try to point you more in the direction that he's, just a giant asshole that yeah. uh, his brother doesn't ever want to go home. There's a scene where he, the scene where him and uh, Johnny uh, pony boy and Johnny sort of are hanging out in the lot. And then he falls asleep, wakes up at like two in the morning and runs home. And then him and Patrick Swayze get into like an argument and Patrick Swayze ends up like hitting him or shoving him or whatever. Yeah. And then instantly regrets it. But you, it's still all there to be like, oh yeah, this this guy's not a good guy. 
But then, yeah, if you look at all the context clues, like around that character, you're like, oh, no, shit. Like he, yeah, he gave up pretty much everything to make sure that these boys were taken care of. And so maybe that drove him a little bit mad. He probably, they don't even show that, but he probably drinks more than he should. And he probably is uh, a little angry about the whole situation. But overall, he made the right choices. Yeah, and I think it it is like he's it's a combination of there probably is some bitterness towards the younger brothers that he had to sacrifice everything to take care of them mixed with he just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. You know, he's. And I I mean, you, you go back to since I like to relate everything back to Buffy, you remember the episodes of Buffy where they were like threatening to take Dawn away after yeah. her mother had died. And she's just, she just doesn't know she's not equipped to take care yeah. of the situation, but she's forced into the situation where she has to. And that's the same thing here where he's this Patrick Swayze character is he's just doing his best and that's it. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, there's this huge relief moment for me. Like I, uh, when the movie ends and they do like the trial, for pony boy and he's like let off on everything because he wasn't doing anything wrong. And the Diane lane character comes in and testifies that he was, he was being nice and the other kids were, you know, drunk and harassing him kind of thing. So he ends up getting you no know, charges against him related to the death that kind of sets everything off. And when the judge announces like, okay, I'm going to remit you back into the custody of your older brother. I actually had like a moment of relief where I'm like, Oh good. He gets to go back to his family. Cause there are hints throughout the movie that one of the things they're most scared of is getting put into like an orphanage kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, I, I didn't realize I was on their side until that judge made that announcement. And I went, Oh, okay, good. Like, I'm glad they didn't send him off to an orphanage. No. Boys home, whatever term they use. Yeah. During, uh, yeah, during the scene where he comes home late, uh, Patrick Swayze's character mentions, like, you know, I was worried sick about you and I can't even call the cops because if I do, they're going to end up taking you away. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it leads to an interesting family dynamic when there's that much tension in the family of like, look, we all have to do our part so that we all don't get taken away. Yeah. But, you know. We live in a shitty situation and we all just have to figure out how to deal with it. No, there is like, yeah, and it's, it, it I don't know. It's really interesting too, because I've, I've often thought about the, like the dynamic of having somebody who's only a few years older have to take on that parental figure. There isn't going to be that same respect from the younger siblings as there would be for a real parent. You know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah. Kids are almost biologically predetermined to re- look up to adults, but not necessarily to kids that are just a couple of years older than them. So, yeah, I found all that fascinating, like really well done. I thought that again, like we're getting more into it almost than the film does like the film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it shows you all this. It doesn't tell you all this. It does a really good job of that. So we're establishing this, this world that exists on this poor side of town. And I think having like the Matt Dillon character, who is um, a lot, know, a lot rougher than this family that we are, that is our main group, I think. And by showing Johnny's dad um, beating the mom and stuff like that, we're, they're not whitewashing it either. They're not saying that there's, hey, like, there's no criminals in this part of town. They're all just good folks who happen to be in a bad situation. No, there's, there's some troublemakers over there. There's some people who like the fighting. Um, there's, you know, 
people who drink too much and you can imagine what got them into that situation. You can have a discussion about the cycle of poverty, independence and everything else. But at the end of the day, no, like there's lots of people over here causing trouble. But there's also just these kids who just want to go to school every day and don't want to get picked on because they look different and talk different and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The world should... building is really good in the first part of the movie. I think it's really well done. It really establishes that. So, uh, which we should talk about Matt Dillon in this movie too. Yeah. Uh, he starts out as a giant asshole. Mm-hmm. He pretty much like holds that throughout most of it. But he's still somewhat likable. Like he's the one who helps the two boys like run off and hide till this situation blows over. Yeah. Well, um, even that moment when they go in and ask him for help, he's like living upstairs of a bar kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, and they walk in and ask him for help, and he just he's like gives the guy a clean shirt and gives him a gun and tells him where like how to jump on a train to get out of town and where to hide. And it's like. I don't know if that's the right solution. And when I see him doing that, I'm like, I don't like, I'm, I'm still thinking huge asshole, yeah. but then that scene later on where he shows up and takes them out for like burgers or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, again, we're in this situation where he's trying to help. He's trying to do the right thing. He just doesn't know what to do. You yeah. know? So he's, he's definitely like, we, we know he's been in jail. We know he likes the fighting more than anyone else does. We know he's a much tougher character, but he's still just trying to protect these younger kids that he sees as his responsibility to help. And then he ends up, uh, he ends up getting burned as well in that fire, but then still shows up to the rumble. Yeah. Um, but then like shifts, like after the rumbles over, you can see him just start spiraling like right away. Yeah. His performance is great. I think, yeah, I think that you get the impression that the death of the karate kid really impacts him. And again, it's not, they don't say it. You see it in the performance. You see it in the character and it's really, really well done. Like he's, he's so sympathetic despite playing such an asshole. It's really a great performance. Yeah. He's fantastic. And then he ends up uh, getting gunned down by the police, which is uh, horrible. Well, it always sucks. Uh, one of the most interesting pieces of trivia I just read about this. Uh, you know the the poster shot? Yeah. It's like the group of guys on there laughing and stuff. Uh, so apparently they were doing a uh, photo shoot. They were all supposed to be looking tough. Pictures weren't turning out right or they, you know, they were just taking them, whatever. And then apparently, uh, Leif Garrett was in the room and went to sat down on one of the tables on the other side of the camera. And apparently Ralph Macchio said, Hey Leif, that's for the talent. And everybody just started laughing. <laughs> and so then they took a picture of that while it was happening. And that ended up being the poster. It's funny. Cause it's such an iconic poster. Mm-hmm. And like you hear that story and you go, okay, I see what they were doing. Like the, the plan was to market this film so that they were the tough, badass looking guys and then get yeah. people into the theater to see that and then hit them with all this drama. Right. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that was the plan. And it 
And that whole plan just went to shit because they got happened to get this good picture of them all laughing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's a great shot too. Like it's fantastic. It, it's it's an iconic poster. Like it's you know everyone knows it, and <laughs> it's it's so funny that it's like it probably fucked up the market. Like the people in the marketing department were probably like pretty angry when that was the, they're like, but we had a whole plan. This is like, they're probably like, I can imagine them having to like recut trailers and stuff to be like, well, we can't pretend they're all just tough, mean guys now. <laughs> yeah. It's smart though. Cause it does show like the camaraderie. I mean, you won't know that before you see the movie, but when you look at it now, you're like, Oh no, like I see it now. Like all these guys, like you're, you're looking at their friendship in the picture and that's fantastic. Like it shows off exactly what it should. You just don't know that that's what it should be when you see the poster without seeing the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. It's interesting. You really get the feeling watching this film that like there was something special going on by getting this group of people together, you know, with relatively none of them were at the peak of their career at this point. So you managed to get all these great actors together that are all kind of similar in age. And you feel like maybe, I don't know, I I obviously wasn't on set. I don't know anything about what the shoot was like, but we do know that they went on and all made another movie again, like in the same year. So there must have been some sense of camaraderie there and some like coming together. And, you know, just hearing, even hearing that story is like, they're able to joke around with each other like that. They're not all stuck up Hollywood celebrities. They were having fun making this movie. And I think that that does come through in the way that they all kind of feel close. Mm -hmm. I agree. Just, yeah. I mean, the only like complaint I would have about the movie is that like the rumble at the end feels a little tacked on. Um, Yeah. Feels, feels like kind of the Hollywood ending. But it it does feel like something they should be building up to. And I don't know. We don't really get that there's going to be a rumble till I don't know, two thirds yeah. of the way through the movie. Because all that buildup is happening in town. And as an audience, we follow that. See Thomas Howell and Ralph Macchio to the church. And that's where we spend the movie, right? So mm. we get cutbacks to that other stuff, but we don't really that's not where our time is invested. Yeah. You were kind of told about it after they return home. I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, we got a rumble scheduled. I'm like, did you, you scheduled it? You're just like, Hey guys, a week and a half from today, you just in the lot. It's like, why not just do it like that night? It, I think this is a thing. I'm only basing it on movies. Cause obviously yeah. I was, I don't, I don't like to talk about my personal life too much, but I was never in a gang in the 1950s. Oh, um, so I know, I know, but, um, I think this is like based on movies. This was the thing that in the 1950s gangs would be like, okay, well I'll meet over here and fight. But then again, all the movies I see where that happens were made in the eighties. So maybe it's just something somebody lied about in 1978 and all the filmmakers believed them. I don't know. No. Uh, so apparently they did do a director's cut, which is like a half an hour longer. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of curious now cause I've never seen the, it's, it's called the outsiders, the complete novel. So yeah, I'm curious to see it too now. Yeah. Um, 
because it's the the idea if they added the right stuff then i'm down for it if they added more drama more character development you know if they put in two more fight scenes no thanks i don't need that uh yeah so it says coppola received letters over the years from fans of the novel many expressing disappointment that several key scenes from the book were omitted from the film version they were in coppola's original cut but were edited at the behest of the studio several years later coppola's granddaughter was reading the book in class and was about to watch the film with her fellow schoolmates feeling embarrassed coppola cobbled together what would eventually become his director's cut the outsiders of the complete novel It'd be interesting to go back and watch that. Yeah. I mean, I get it, given the time when this movie came out, 1983, like, stretching a drama film out by an extra half hour, because I think this is decent length as is, right? Um, I can't remember exactly, but I'm like, it's it's not a short film. So adding a half an hour of talky-talky stuff in 1983 would have been frowned upon. Yeah. As opposed uh, to the movie now where they add in three subplots and make it three and a half hours long. <laughs> Split it up into three movies somehow. Yeah. Uh, so the author of the book, S.E. Hinton, she apparently began writing the novel when she was only 15, finished it when she was 16, and the book was published when she was 17. See, that's interesting because maybe that's why the the youthful characters are captured so well yeah, because they're be written from the perspective of a teenager. I, I don't know that to be the case because I've never read the novel, but I wonder if the way that they are kind of real human beings rather than the sort of, I don't know. I don't even know what to do. How, do, how would you describe the way te- adults look at teenagers, not as people, but as <laughs> something else. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Yeah, apparently during filming, Rob Lowe asked her what happened to Soda Pop, like his character. And she responded that Soda Pop was drafted to Vietnam and died there. Oh, shit. Jesus. Uh, And then, uh, so when they're going to the Rumble, and everybody's all psyched up, and they're walking down the street, and Tom Cruise does that backflip off the truck. Mm-hmm. He does like two backflips in the movie for no reason, yeah. other than I bet you someone on set was like, "That guy can do a backflip." Uh, apparently, Patrick Swayze was the one who coached him on how to do it off the truck. Oh yeah, makes yeah. sense. Patrick Swayze would have—he was like a professional dancer and shit, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, apparently, though, he was nervous and he approached uh, the author Essie Hinton because she was on set the whole time. Apparently, she was she's listed in the credits as like. Uh, special consultant to Francis Ford Coppola or something. Yeah. They worked really closely on both of these two movies that we're talking about tonight. So he went up to her and said he was afraid to do it because, uh, he was feeling nauseous from eating too much at lunch. (laughs) And she asked him if he thought he would feel better if he threw up and he said, yeah, probably. So they, (laughs) they went, (laughs) they took him to the food truck, make him, made him drink raw eggs until he threw up resulting in Cruz feeling much better and doing the stunt without a problem. Oh Oh my God. Christ. Okay. So apparently S.E. Hinton was great at creating these sympathetic teenage characters, but when allowed near real teenagers was just objectively abusive. 
Is that what we're oh. saying for this? Like, oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, that's it's either that or Tom Cruise was already nuts back then. Those are the two, those are the two, <laughs> two possible takeaways. Little column A, little column B. Yeah, I guess they're not mutually exclusive. It's you know you can abuse an insane person technically. Uh oh, fuck! In the rumble scene, the first punch that's thrown it hits Pony Boy in the face. Yeah, apparently that was a real punch. <laughs> Uh, it sure looks real. <laughs> yeah. It sure, it's, it's, I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not at all surprised to hear that because yeah. it's, it really looks like. Um, yeah. Yeah. Apparently just, the timing was off and it's, he said it knocked him out. Like he literally yeah. fell back and was knocked out. Uh, I don't yeah. know. At this point, I'm just reading through IMDb trivia sure. and there's a shit. Yeah shits out of it so i'm not gonna read anymore but there's there's just some weird interesting stuff about the movie like the movie itself is good i do remember watching this at some point and just being kind of like eh like bored with it i guess but i don't know maybe i just either wasn't in the mood or was weirdly too young to appreciate the movie even though it's about young people yeah but it's still you know you know, when you're younger, you, you're looking for more action than is in this. Yeah. You need like two or three more churches to burn down or something like that. So Totally. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, other than I can't figure out why those kids were inside that church. That's the only thing I can't figure <laughs> out. Like, yeah, why was there yeah. like a field trip to an abandoned church? Yeah, that, because you know, it's, uh, cause the church and he literally, like uh, Matt Dillon, literally tells them this: that the church is abandoned. And it's out in the middle of a big field. Like there's yeah. nothing around it when they show it. It's it is out in the middle of a big field. There's not like buildings next door. No, no, yeah, like it's it's the middle of nowhere. That's why they go there. It's the middle of nowhere, yeah. but has a source of water. That's basically yeah. why they decide to go there. So yeah, when they and pull, when the the crew pulls up, and there's a school bus and school children, and it looks like the principal and a teacher, multiple teachers. I'm just like, what are you guys doing? I don't understand why they're there, and how did those kids get inside? Like, they're pretty little kids. Like, you're supposed to pay more attention to them than that. They they would have had to climb in through like the window that that pony boy had opened up earlier in the film. So right, and. I, am, I don't know. Are we to assume to uh, that they found Pony Boy and Johnny's like cigarettes and matches and lit the building on fire? I took it to be because there's that old like stove in there that they're using to stay warm. I took it to be that that just wasn't wow. safe and we started through yeah. that. But I, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's pretty nitpicky to get upset about why were there people in their church when it burned down, but. Yeah. Would you have saved those kids, or would you fight, just let them burn, like Matt Dillon said? I don't know. It when you it, when you watch a movie like this, it makes you ask that question of yourself. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm reasonably confident I'd run into a burning down church if it was my kid. Stranger Kids. That's a tough <laughs> one. It's not even like like I know the right thing to do is go in and try to save them, but would I actually do that in the moment? And you only have a split second to make that decision. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We always want to think like, oh no, I would totally be the hero. 
don't know, man. You get there and you're just like, yeah, yeah. that's a lot of smoke. I'm going to die if I run in there. Yeah. Well, it's such a different world now, too, though, where like you could dial 911, whereas in this church, in this movie, like set in the 50s, you're in the middle of nowhere and there's a church on fire. Like, if you don't save those kids, no one saves those kids, right? So it's a yeah. whole different question back then than it would be today. Yeah. And I just hope that I'm never in that situation. I don't need to find out. Or you could just be like, hey, someone's got to save those kids. Hey, you. Run in Get there in and there and it. save those kids. <laughs> and you're just in front of the TV cameras later. Like, yeah, he was doing nothing. And I'm the one that made sure he went yes. in there and did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Some guys like looking in the window and you just walk up and push him in. You're like, well, you're in there. Get the kids. <laughs> uh, anything else about the outsiders? No, it's, it's, it's a really good movie. Extremely well acted, extremely well, really believable characters and just a, a, a pretty simple story, but, um, very, uh, very to the point, I would say. It, it, it's there sending a little message and it does a great job of sending that message. Oh. Um, we should mention Noah. Oh, we should also mention Noah's not here, which we haven't pointed out yet. Uh, yeah, we're still waiting to see if his internet starts working and he pops back in, but <laughs> yeah, his internet apparently went down like half an hour before the show started. <laughs> that guy's having a lot of issues lately. Yeah. So, uh, Noah wanted me, he said, spoiler alert, I was not a fan of either of these movies, which is not Uh, surprising for Noah. No, I mean, again, I very, very much enjoyed this film, but this is like the kind of thing he would enjoy. Not really. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing he's going to say it was boring and the characters were stupid or something. Uh, but that will take us to Rumblefish. So apparently... Coppola enjoyed making this movie so much. He said, let's make another one right away. Yeah, let's piss on the legacy of that film. (laughs) And so they cobbled together uh, Rumblefish from another S.E. Hinton book. And uh, a lot of the same cast. Uh, I think there's some of the same locations. Like I feel like the... um, uh, The, like, general store, the pharmacy, whatever where the magazines were, where Matt Dillon was towards the end of the last movie. I feel like we saw that in Rumblefish a couple times and could be the same one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they literally just rolled right into another movie after. Yeah. It was just like, who doesn't have another job lined up? Come on with us. (laughs) Tom Cruise is like, uh, I got shit to do. Yeah. Like you can see, yeah, they lost Tom Cruise. They lost Patrick Swayze. Emilio. You know, all the guys that if you can, if you think really hard, you can remember them being in a lot of movies in 1984. They all had to go. Yeah. They had other shit to do. They just hired Nick Cage to replace them all because they're like, he acts big enough to replace all those guys. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll get into that. But um, and uh, so they put together another another movie called Rumblefish. Yeah. trying to even remember sort of what the plot was. This feels like a non-musical version of, 
Um, Thank you for saying that. I was going to say that. West Side Story. I was going to make that exact analogy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that feels that way. This movie is what happens if the character Brian from Spaced sees the Outsiders and then decides to make an art installation based on it. That's what this <laughs> is. So it's weird because it feels like two different directors made these movies. Yes. The first one, like we said, is so good, full of like weird subtlety about stuff where they don't put it in your face, but you have the complete story when you think about it and you find out that they sort of secretly snuck a bunch of story in and you didn't realize yeah. it. Whereas this one is the most ham-fisted, like stagey sort of like movie oh and performances God. like ever. This movie started and it's like in black and white. And everybody is doing this weird, like, stage acting. And I'm thinking, like, man, that is a fucking bold move. I know Francis Ford Coppola is an artistic director, but just open your movie with a dream sequence like this. That is fucking bold. (laughs) And then a few minutes in, like, around the time Larry Fishburne's character shows up, I'm like, "Uh oh, this isn't a dream sequence. This just might be the movie. Dear Lord fucking God, this is the movie. And I mean, do you remember like two weeks ago when I was the one on the show defending pretentious art house crap? (laughs) We were talking about Brandon Cronenberg and I was like, no, 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 it's okay to do that. And then this is my punishment. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Um, so (sighs) Rusty James and you'll never forget his name because Everybody calls him Rusty James. Not even kidding. In the trivia for this movie, it says his name is said 50 times, which averages out to being said about every two minutes within the movie. Yeah, it's constant. They constantly say it. And nobody addresses the fact that it's a weird fucking name. Yeah. Like when Ponyboy and Soda Pop are introduced in the other movie, they're like, no, my dad was a weird guy. He's like, my brother's named Soda Pop. It even says it on his birth certificate. Like he's like, they're acknowledging the ridiculousness of the names. And that's part of the fun of it. But here they just act like it's normal to be named Rusty James. Yeah. Which is the second stupidest name in that family. Uh, so apparently he, uh, he's sort of in charge of the motorcycle boys. Is that right? Is that what they, is that what they call? I don't know. Because it doesn't make sense because it makes it sound like that's the name of a gang. But then also his older brother, who he sort of feels like he's not living up to in this role, shows back up in town and his name is Motorcycle Boy. So. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're really a gang and I don't think they really have a name. The Motorcycle Boy is just what they call fucking the wrestler. Um, Mickey Rourke, just sorry, sorry to make sure it's, it's I'm referring to his other role. <laughs> I just yeah. realized he's, it's not quite a famous enough role for me to do that. Like I do with karate kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like, so when Mickey Rourke shows up, like he's the motorcycle boy and he's supposed to be the leader of their little gang, but it's basically fallen apart because he's left. Yeah. And he's gone on this road trip to California to like find himself. And when he comes back, he's dressed I don't know if he's supposed to be dressed nice, but he's dressed different from everybody else. He's no longer in like the leather and shit. Yeah. So I think 
he's he wants to live a more peaceful lifestyle and rusty james is still interested wants to like kind of bring back the old gang warfare days that or something is that any of that matter i mean it does because that's is sort of the plot motivation of a lot of this stuff but yeah, but there's not really uh, plot is such a strong word to use to describe. Yeah, it is so weird because I'm sitting here trying to remember, like, what the fuck happened in this movie? Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's like Rusty wants to fight another gang. Like, they're trying to set all this up. Like, hey, these guys have been. Uh, uh, I don't know, giving us problems or whatever, and they're supposed to be like a truce or something between them. And so they're going to have a big old fight. Um, and then, yeah, motorcycle fight. boy shows up. It's almost a dance off during, during it. It's not far off. The choreography is not good. I don't even think it's not good. I, I don't know what the hell they're trying to do. So therefore I can't judge whether they've achieved it. Yeah. It's um, so such a stupid idea that I can't comprehend it. Yeah. He uh, he has a crush on this girl, which we didn't really talk about Diane Lane in the last movie. She was one of the girls that uh, greasers were sort of starting to get to know, I guess. And so she yeah, plays she, she plays a schoolgirl in this one, and he keeps like bothering her. It makes it seem like he's he's not in school, so I don't know how old he's supposed to be. But he's constantly waiting for her to get off the bus, and then like bothers her her whole way home yeah and, and this definitely then, is is one of those like hey if i bully her enough she'll finally give in and be my girlfriend or like she is his girlfriend because <laughs> like even the mom like doesn't like him because she doesn't like her daughter dating him it's not like her mom doesn't like him because he's harassing her daughter you know? yeah so it's it's possible that it's stupid and it doesn't make any sense and then the yeah. little sister like really likes him, but I can't figure out why. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then everything just sort of falls apart and I don't know. There's not really like, like I literally thought, cause I watched this one first. Mm-hmm. I thought the whole movie was going to be leading up to the fight. Like we sort of suggested maybe it should have happened in the last movie, but at least the fight at the end was at the end. And I was like, oh, is this going to be like, hey, we're going to fight these guys tonight. And then we're going to follow this character like through his day as he it's just leading up to whatever this fight is going to be. That's what I, I thought, thought might happen. Yeah, which I thought might be interesting. It's just sort of like he's going through his life, you know, his day, like trying mm-hmm. to figure out what's going to happen at this fight. He goes to see his girlfriend, like, you know, all this stuff. And then that the fight ends up happening like 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah, and then that, I f- and then I feel like it just meanders for the rest of the time about him having problems with his girlfriend and then meeting uh, his dad. He's played by Dennis Hopper. And he's like a drunk. And where did they get Dennis Hopper in this movie? <laughs> it's just sort of like nothing really happens for the rest of the movie. It's all Mickey Rourke talking about how like I don't know he's sort of over the life that he had here because he did went you- to California and. Yeah, but then, like, the big reveal comes at the end that he was only gone for two months. Yeah. So, like, it's not like he went and lived a new life in California. Like, he just drove out there one day, and he's like, it's sunny. I'm going to go back and tell everyone I don't want to be in a gang anymore. Like, 
So, and then it, uh. that story he tells, and I don't know if it's supposed to be a true story or if he's making it up, but he tells Matt Dillon that he fucking saw their mom in the audience of a game show or something. So drove out <laughs> to California to find her and did, by the way, right. and did right. find her. And she's like living with a movie producer. And he's like, we can probably go stay with her. She said, we can come back and stay with her. I'm like, can't be the plot of what happened. She won't know how that's possible. Like, I don't, yeah, it's so movie, weird. This whole movie is this is what it is. They think they're these, these stupid motherfuckers think they're really clever. They came up with this metaphor that the Siamese fighting fish in the pet store are like the kids in the neighborhood. And the problem is that they're all trapped and stuck together in these circumstances. But if you could just put them in the river and set them free, then they wouldn't have to fight. And they no. think that's a really fucking clever metaphor for how if you just let these kids gave these kids opportunities, they'd not have to be in these poor situations and move on, which is not a clever metaphor, by the way. And then secondly, somebody was like, those fish that they want to use, those Siamese fighting fish are very colorful. So if we do the whole movie in black and white and then only the fish are in color, imagine how much they'll stand out. And that's yeah. it. Then they went and made a fucking movie based on that. <laughs> movie. Which... I don't know if movie is the right word to describe this. Again, yeah, art, art installation, like yeah. which they did find a clever way to shoot those fish, though, because um, because okay. I was reading because I was reading the trivia and I'm even like, man, that must have been like because when you do that, you have to like uh, you'd have to shoot it on color film, transfer part of it onto black and it, it would be a really complicated thing. So yeah. they they shot the guys walking. And then uh, put that on a giant projection screen and then put the aquarium with the fish in front of it and then shot that on color film. And it actually okay. looks pretty good, which I was kind of surprised by. I will agree it looks good based on what you're describing to me. Yeah. However, when I was watching the movie, I assumed that they went in like old timey style and like colored in the fish. Yeah the way they would have to do it with like old animated movies and stuff. And it, sure. I don't think what they did looks any better than doing it the old way. I don't probably, think those fish are not particularly great. <laughs> um, I just thought it was an interesting technique and I'm like, Oh yeah, that does look pretty good because sometimes, I mean, they used to use projection screens for like driving scenes. Yeah. So and it never and no, and it never looks good. And I thought this actually looked pretty good. I was like, I was kind of impressed with the, Use of the projection I, screen. I did yeah. not know that they had done that. So no. they, it's good no. enough that I didn't know. But that's. But that's about the uh, 30 seconds of the film that I was impressed with. Yeah, like it was just it was such an annoying film. And I'm just. Yeah. Like, and the fact that they go back to those fish multiple times. And then the whole thing where like fucking motorcycle boy decides he's going to steal the fish and release him into the river. And then the cops gun him down. And I'm like, could we just fucking just stop? Like, this is like, this is the definition of ham fisted. Please yeah. stop doing this. Like, I don't, I don't want any more of your metaphor that you're pretending is a movie. It's, ah, <laughs> uh, it's just so frustrating. And it's just like, yeah, and they like they concentrate on those fish and like I don't man I want 
I wasn't around a lot in 1983 when this movie was being made, so I don't know what people were talking about. But like, yeah, you know what? I had a Siamese fighting fish when I was 10 year old too. And I used to tell my buddies about how like I could fucking put a mirror up and it would try to fight itself. You know, <laughs> but, but I was a fucking 10 year old child who thought all that stuff was worth having a conversation about a grown adults making a movie that would plan to release. Like yeah. I don't need, I don't need like several minutes of discussion about the fish and how they'll fight and how they'll fight the mirrors and you have to keep them separated. And I'm like, I, does anybody not know this about Siamese fighting fish? I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Weirdly for as much as we were praising some of these actors in the last movie, I don't, just, there might be a single performance in this movie. That's worth, that's worth any compliment. The only thing I was going to say is maybe Dennis Hopper just, but even really, that's kind of just like, it's, I don't know. Not, yeah, not I mean, super great. No, but it seems like he made some choices at least where nobody else I feel like did. I don't, but I don't, I think it's a stylistic decision by the director. I don't blame the, the actors because yeah. they're all doing that. Like stagey, we wish we were in a musical, but they won't pay for us to learn choreography type of acting that I just can't deal with. And, but they're all doing it. You know what I mean? And like, especially like, like Matt Dillon, like we just talked about his performance in the last film and how he's capable of like adding those layers to a character and having multiple motivations and stuff. And then we turn around and see him doing this where it's like, all he has to do is play a tough guy and he can't pull it off. That's not his fault. Like, you know what I mean? Like he didn't become a significantly worse actor in the couple of months between filming. Yeah. And some of their like, Oh yeah. I forgot to, we forgot to talk about Uh, Nicholas Cage is in this movie as one of his friends, part of his group gang, whatever. I feel like everybody's just sort of putting on this, like, uh, like, hey, forget about it. I'm over here. Sort of like yeah. personality with all of these characters. And like, it's so just like, I don't even want to say over the top because they're not like no. super over the top, but they're so stereotypical that it's just like, you're all acting the exact same. Yeah. Except for Larry Fishburne, who acts exactly how you would expect well, a black guy in a movie about that to act. Because he's sure. doing that stereotype instead. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it... Like, it's... I don't even know what to say. Like, it's yeah. it's not really acting. It's line reading. It's... Yeah. You know, if you saw this level of acting in a community theater, you'd be like, do we really have to applaud at the end or do we have to be polite about it? You know what I mean? And here they are doing it in like a motion picture and you're just like, I can't, I have no patience for this nonsense. Like it's, Oh, I, I was frustrated. And like, like I say, I got frustrated 10 minutes in and I'm like, I can't believe I have to watch the end of this. No. And then, then they start with all the stupid shit with the fish. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, is that why this movie's called that? Because we have to, and they're like, we have to go through a lesson about these fish that I thought were cool when I was a small child. I, uh, you sent that and I'm just like, 
so I started watching it, and yeah, I'm I'm a little ways, like you know, 10, 15 minutes in. I'm like, I don't know what Doug's complaining about. Like, this is an interesting stylistic choice, I guess. I don't know. But then, like, yeah, as the scenes went on, where they're sort of they're all sitting in Tom Waits's uh, diner or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're all talking, and I'm just like, oh wait, no, Doug was right. None of these people have personality <laughs> whatsoever. They're all doing this weird, horribly, like, ham-fisted, stagey performances. And then as stuff went on, I'm just like, oh, this plot's not even that good. Like, what the fuck is happening? No, there's, like, the weird, like, subplot where Nick Cage steals Diane Lane from Roblo, or not Roblo, from Matt Dillon. And I'm like, I, are we supposed to care? Like, are we supposed to feel bad for him because his girlfriend got stolen? He's been an asshole to her all movie. <laughs> Yeah. And he was cheating on her. That's why she fucking finally stopped seeing him. Like, I don't that happens. That's what's going to happen. If you cheat on your girlfriend, she's going to go date somebody else. I don't like, I don't know what we're, the only person I felt bad for was her. Cause apparently something's emotionally wrong with her where she goes back to another person in that same little social group. And I'm like, no, no, no go meet somebody else at whatever school that bus takes you to. Yeah. Like, fucking Jesus. I didn't like this movie. And what? Shocked <laughs> by this twist. I just, oh, just pretentious, shitty filmmaking assholes. That's who. Like, I, I almost didn't watch the other movie. I almost just because I watched this one first, and I almost just went now. Nah, I'm glad I did watch it in retrospect, but I. I don't know. No. Yeah. The pe- the people online will try to convince you that this is like a work of art and that it's like they call it avant-garde style and they use words like that when they describe it. And I'm like, that all just sounds like you trying to act like you went to film school when you didn't really. Uh, <sighs> yeah, when I logged it on Letterboxd, I uh, noticed this had quite a few like high stars on it from people that I follow and stuff. And I'm like, really? I don't yeah. think so. And then, uh, when I just logged, uh, uh, outsiders, some of the same people logged this, that one with fewer stars than Rumblefish. And I'm like, what the hell? I mean, if you don't like movies, then I guess you would want to watch this. Cause it's not really a movie when there's that, um, I don't know if I want to talk about it or not. <laughs> Might as well. We're here. There's the scene where they got they go to like the city or whatever, and they're having their night out, and they get mugged. And the Matt Dillon character gets knocked out, and he has his out of body experience. Oh yeah. You see his like his ghost like floats over, and it is it is literally how out of body experiences are shown in like Bugs Bunny cartoons and shit. And I'm like, yeah, because those are stupid cartoons where we're supposed to be laughing and joking. And you're trying to play this off like it's serious. Like, it's, <laughs> like I'm supposed to what get emotionally drawn into this nonsense of his like body floating. Like, yeah. What is happening? Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the midnight drive-in at gmail.com. 
Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, Alright, so what did you watch? Last... Blah, blah, blah. So what did you watch since last episode, Doug? I love that you're not going to edit that out. Oh, I'll keep um, it in. Oh, I actually I have a lot to talk about. Um, short episode. It might be. Cause I was kind of relying on Noah to watch 100 things. <laughs> so he can't even turn his internet on. <laughs> the only thing I watched uh, was a movie called In the Heart of the Sea. Which is the true story of the sinking of the Essex. Do you know anything about this true story? No idea. So I, I remember this movie coming out. I didn't care to see it at the time. I didn't really have any interest. Um, but then I listened to some podcasts about the true story and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was, was that last podcast on the left? Yeah. So I've never listened to them before. But uh, I know I have friends who did, and obviously you did, but I didn't know that until I saw your Instagram post. And when I was watching Scream, like it, towards the beginning, they have yep. like one of their posters in their apartment. They're like, I don't know how popular they are, but they're like the only podcast where I've just been like out of the bar and like seen people wearing a t-shirt and been like, oh, what's, am no. I supposed to be friends with that guy now? Um, uh, but so I listened to a couple episodes because I had never listened to them before. Yeah. Well, I should say I started an episode. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't like those guys. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it came off very like uh, dude bro, and I'm like, oh no. And I, I'll give it. I only listened to like 15, 20 minutes, so maybe I'm wrong. But do you know which episode? Or like, was it one first, of the real episodes or one of their like? It was one of the first uh, David Miscavige episodes. Okay. I, don't know, I listened to those and I didn't have that problem. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe find maybe another podcast me. that covers the story of the Essex because it's okay. a great story. Like, it's um, basically a whaling ship in, like, the 1800s that, like, they're basically, they're out there hunting whales and one of the whales is like, fuck you, and just sinks their ship on them. Which is Good for him. It's Yeah, I'm like, good for the whale. Like, as I didn't know that apparently previous to using um previous to using so much petroleum that we used oil from like whales brains to like light lamps and all sorts of shit so back in the day it was a huge industry and these ships would just set sail and hunt whales and like drain all this oil out of their brains and apparently the way it worked was like you just went out and you came back when you had your boat full so you could you might be gone for six months if that's how long it takes to find that many whales, but you could also be gone for two years and just nobody knew. Yeah. <laughs> and so like this one particular journey, yeah, it's like the first ever, I think, documented case of a whale just sinking a ship. And there's some people that theorize that it happened more, but um there's no no nobody knows for sure. Yeah. But then these guys are just stranded in the middle of the ocean in their like little boats that were attached to the big boat. So like when you find the whales, you jump in the little boats and go out there and stab the whale and drag it back to the big boat kind of thing. So they're stuck in the middle of the ocean in these little boats that are not designed for being out in the middle of the ocean and they don't have very many rations and just 
all hell breaks loose. Several of them die. They land on an island. They have to leave. A couple of guys just decide to stay. Like, they decide they have to leave the island because there's not enough food. And they find, like, bodies of other people that were shipwrecked on the island. And are like, oh, well, if those guys died, there's way more of us than there were of them. So we're not going to make it. Um, but they leave a couple of guys on the island. <laughs> and uh, the rest of them are, like, back out there searching. And uh, eventually they, like, make it back. But not before resorting to, like, cannibalism and stuff. So it's like a pretty cool story. And then they went and got Ron Howard to make the movie about it, which is an interesting choice. And then say that doesn't speak like a Ron Howard story, but sure. No. Um, So it's, it's not like a bad movie at all. It's just, how can I put it? The sinking of the ship by the whale happens like an hour into the movie. Then the second part is everything that happened after it. But so much more of the story happens after it. Like the sinking of the, sh- of the ship should almost be 10 minutes into the movie and have the whole movie be about it, about them like su- suffering on these boats with like running out of water and, you know, dealing with apparently like if you're stuck on a boat like this out in the sea, like the salt water just splashing up on your face eventually can cause like scarring and shit because you're not rinsing it off regularly and you just got salt on your skin. Uh. And, a lot of that, I think, just gets glossed over a little bit too much because we're dealing with a Hollywood movie and they wanted to take the time to set up like heroes and villains. and You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they really emphasize that like the which I think is from the true story, which is that the. The first mate was a, a much more experienced whaler and probably should have been the captain and the captain was. This guy that was kind of like got the job by being born rich um so it's like that might have caused some of the troubles that they had and all that kind of stuff but they really spend a lot of time setting that up and chris hemsworth plays the first mate so you're like oh i wonder if he's the hero <laughs> i wonder if thor is gonna be the good guy in this it's like thor and spider-man are in this movie so i wonder if those would be the two heroes and it's like okay they are um and they like they also like this this true story is also inspired the author to write Moby Dick. They spent a lot of time talking about that. Like they bookend the movie with the author of Moby Dick interviewing one of their survivors. And you're like, like we can edit that out and make more time to like have cannibalism be a bigger deal in this story. There's literally a scene in this movie where they draw lots and shoot the fucking guy, draws the short straw and eat him. And it's kind of just glossed over. And I'm like, no, no, that's let's, Let's explore that a bit. Let's explore the emotions surrounding the idea of murdering a man and eating him, a man you work with, a coworker. <laughs> I think you need to spend more time on that. It's, but it, the movie's so Hollywood that it can't, like it doesn't want to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, so it ends up kind of being more of an action adventure movie and they try to make certain people into heroes and you do get like, they kind of, I, I feel it's too clean as well. I think any movie set before like 1950 is too clean. They always they always forget that people lived in filth back then, and it's like, like missing teeth and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like there's one like real gross out moment in the movie where like Tom Holland's character, because he's the smallest guy in the boat, 
gets shoved inside the head of a dead whale. Like literally they've cut a hole on the top and they shove him down the hole (laughs) and they show him going in there and he's like scooping out this stuff that they'd render to make this oil. And it's like, okay, like that's a nice gross out moment. But now do now address the fact that there's no showers on this boat and he's just going to walk around and smell like that. (laughs) Like they probably don't have a whole bunch of changes of clothes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that'd be a good point. You know, all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I, I don't know. And again, it's a Hollywood movie. You don't expect, I expected as much, right? No. Um, just, just the fact that everyone has their teeth and all their limbs and stuff is already prettying it up too much. But it's not a terrible movie. It's just, it doesn't quite do justice to the true story from what I could gather. They also kind of paint the whale out to be the villain. And I'm like, I don't think the whale is. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm not against hunting animals for food. I'm, or even like, you know, if you're legitimately going, going to hunt them down and use them for some purpose, I don't necessarily think killing every whale on the planet or get their oil was a good idea. Um, but you know, I, I, I can understand that, but if you're out hunting an animal and it turns around and fights back, that doesn't make the animal the bad guy. <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> no. I just, it's really funny too because like I've listened to a couple of different discussions on this and people are like no one's really quite sure why the whale did that. And I'm like you were trying to kill it and its family. They're relatively intelligent animals. They can figure out enough to know, you know, the the people that are trying to stab me live on that thing. And they're non-aquatic animals. They can figure that much out, right? It's not yeah. So I don't know why people are confused by it. Yeah, it seems like if you're trying to hunt an animal and then it's like, oh, the animal killed him. Yeah. There shouldn't be a huge mystery as to why. Yeah. It's like, oh, it goes back to the Steve Irwin thing that I've said before in this podcast. You spend your whole life going around poking fish and eventually one pokes you back and everyone gets sad about it. It's like, well, (laughs) what do you, you did that. Like, that's what you wanted to do. Fine. You took your risks, though. And so be it. Just means don't hunt whales. They'll fuck you up. Yeah. I, yes. That's a, that's good advice. Leave whales the fuck alone. <laughs> we just, as a, as a weird side note, the same week, the, uh, the last whale in captivity, orca, I should say in captivity in Canada passed away. Oh. So it's like, we can't have that anymore. Yeah. It's now illegal here. So, well, it's a bummer it passed away, but at least they're not going to be capturing anymore, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. They also said it was in captivity since 1977. So I'm like, I guess that's doesn't sound like it died young. I don't know. Not an yeah. expert on whales, but. Yeah, I have no idea. Anyways, that's that's really off point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the point was that. Yeah, the movie's the movie's okay, but it doesn't do justice to the original story, and it it's really Hollywooded up. Not yeah. sure that Ron Howard was the right choice for any movie that has cannibalism in it. It's just not his forte. I think he did yeah. a good job of making the movie he wants to make. It's just not the movie I wanted to see. Weirdly, for some reason, I want to see Guillermo del Toro do that movie. 
<laughs> the whale's not the villain in the Del Toro version. Say <laughs> that much. Yep. Uh, Somehow Doug Jones plays him. It's great. Yeah, it's super weird, but. Uh, did you watch anything else? Really? I, you know what? For some reason, I'm, I've been rewatching Smallville. Oh, yeah? It's just because I like I got rid of Prime a while ago, and now that I got it back, it doesn't have any of my information, so the algorithm is all messed up, and it doesn't know what to recommend to me. So <laughs> when I when I watch the Creed movies, so now it'll only recommend um, boxing movies or movies with black people in them to me, because... Amazon Prime is racist. It thinks if you watch a movie with a black actor in it, you just want to watch quote unquote black movies. And that's what they call them or black stories. They call them. And I'm like, I don't think you're supposed to call them that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, But it it kept recommending Smallville to me because it fit into a couple of different categories that I was looking at. And I'm like, you know what? I'll give that a shot. And I don't know. I've, I got a little hooked and I've watched, I don't know where I'm did at. You, did nine, you watch so. it when it was initially on? Yeah. Oh. Sort of. So I, like some of these episodes I probably haven't seen since they were new. It was like 2001 or whatever. But because like, back then you still had to watch stuff on TV. I don't know if you remember that, but you'd have to like, if the <laughs> okay. show was on like Wednesdays at eight, you had to be there Wednesdays at eight. If you were real lucky, it was replayed on another channel on Saturday if you missed yeah. it or something, but that or, was it. Like, or you had a VCR and you yeah. had, and you had one tape that you would constantly record stuff on. Yeah. So you'd be like, Oh, I got my week's worth of shows on this tape. But yeah, it was, yeah. so it was like, yeah. Yeah, I thought they had some interesting ideas to sort of add to the Superman lore in that show. I think ultimately for me, the show went on way too long. Probably. I don't imagine, like when I say I'm rewatching it, I don't think I'm going to watch all of it. I no. I just, I put on an episode as background noise and found myself watching it. And it's, there's something quaint about it and simple about it that just, it reminds me of watching the, the Raimi Spider-Man films where I'm just like, I remember when superheroes didn't have to be so damn serious all the time. And like we, yeah. or like so big, like you could just have a weekly show of just fill into the week stuff. Yeah. I thought them having, uh, the meteor shower hitting Smallville when yeah. Kal came to earth. I thought it was an interesting idea. Um, it does add this layer of like, well, nobody can know my secret that I'm from, that I'm an alien. But then also adds this layer of like, well, when I showed up, basically me showing up, killed some people in town, destroyed, you know, parts of the town, whatever. So there's that weird added trauma that, you know, oh, you don't want people finding that out, which weirdly adds to it. And then one thing that I liked was that he had a crush on Lana and Lana has a piece of the meteorite that was it killed her dad. Was that the. Yeah, Meteor killed her both her parents when yeah. it, when it came. So there's that it's it's an interesting dynamic because he's got the crush on her. They both have this sort of weird relationship because they're both orphans, but she's only an orphan because he killed her parents and she doesn't yeah. have that. Yeah, and then I liked that they added that she wears the piece of kryptonite. Yep. So that when he gets around her, he literally does turn into Clark Kent because the uh, the meteorite saps his powers, so he gets all clumsy and 
yeah you know trips and stuff you know just gets all sort of all over the place and he doesn't have his superpowers i thought that was an interesting idea like when i first started there's, watching the show there's a lot of fun ideas like that um how consistent they are is yeah debatable. that's questionable <laughs> you know what i mean but like um that's it is what it is it's television from a certain time period and you know the drama is pretty cheesy and heavy-handed and all that stuff yeah. and i then do find using, it's like sorry go ahead i was gonna say then using the meteorites that are have then you know that are still like in the ground or whatever and using that as an explanation why other super-powered people sort of happen yeah. and it irradiates the area and like all that stuff I I, yeah. I thought the way they found to make it a weekly show and have it sort of make, well, I mean, make as much sense as a WB show does. I thought they came up with some interesting ideas for them to use. Yeah. It, they did a good job setting it up in a way where you keep Superman interesting. Yeah. Um, it starts with the idea of having him be young and not have full control of his powers yet. Because Superman does become uninteresting when because he's so overpowered. Yeah. And so it, it does kind of like by having him be this teenager who's stumbling around, not understanding what to do, that kind of offsets that. And then by setting it in Smallville and having pieces of kryptonite everywhere, they can have like once an episode where he needs to use his powers, but there's too much kryptonite nearby and he just can't. Yeah. It's pretty corny. But. <laughs> Like, I, I have a feeling if you took the nostalgia out of it, I'd be pretty frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> the show, but, but that's not the situation we're in. So that's all right. I'm uh, still enjoying the corniness of uh, Superman and Lois. So, okay. Yeah. I, I like that first two episodes a bit that I was able to watch. So, yeah. Sometimes it does get a little like, I'm like, all right, we're, we're reaching a little bit. Let's reel it back in some. Yeah. Well, there's the whole, like, there was this awkward moment in one of the episodes of Smallville I just watched where it's like, because, like, Clark has a crush on Lana and then, what's her name, Chloe, the one that's in a cult now, has a crush on Clark, and there's, like, this weird triangle going on, and they were fighting over who gets to run the school paper or whatever nonsense was going on, (laughs) and I'm just like... I'm like, man, this is real corn dog at this point. Like, I could, <laughs> I could probably turn this off and be done with this, and never watch another episode. But I don't know. But then I, I don't know. If there's, like I say, the nostalgia kicks in, and I, I do like, um, Rosenbaum that plays Lex Luthor. I think his yeah. performance is actually really good. He's good. It's super weird how much older he is than the. Like, he doesn't look a lot older than the other characters, but when he goes back to running a factory at the end of every day, and then they go back to their high school, like, he should not be involved in their love lives and shit the way he is. That's not okay. Why does that old guy keep hanging around those high school kids? It's, it's so funny. It's like, this is why they cast 25 year olds as high school students back then. So they could do this, right? Like, so it wouldn't feel weird. Cause it is like, it is super awkward when you think about it. He is like literally moves to town to, because he's like, vice president of Luther Corp or whatever. And he's like, Hey, you're in charge of that fertilizer factory or whatever the fuck is in Smallville, where they also do weird experiments using kryptonite. Um, and then he like befriends the high school kids and you never really see him talking to the adults. It's very weird. 
But there are episodes where he's like directly involving himself, like where he arranges things so that Clark and Lana will be in the same place at the same time and stuff because he wants them to get together. And I'm like, don't, no. An adult's not supposed to do that with teenagers. Don't do that. Uh, yeah, it's a little creepy. Anyways, I don't know. I, I like. I don't expect weekly updates. At some point, I will just stop watching this because I'll get distracted by a shiny object and I'll never go back to it. But for now, I'm actually kind of enjoying like revisiting it and just the monster of the week stuff is fun. And... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else? No, that's that's it for me. No. The only thing I watched was Shazam: Fury of the Gods. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I really like the first Shazam movie. I think it's a lot of fun, uh, considering it's a DC movie, and you don't usually associate the word fun with those. You um, you usually associate anything positive with those. <laughs> The first one's like really fun and I still really enjoy probably my favorite DC movie because they at least weren't beholden to all the other DC shit that was going on and they could just sort of do whatever and make it a comedy and enjoy all that stuff. Um, And they do that again for the most part in this movie. Um, They do feel like they lay on the uh, family stuff a little uh, a little much in this one. Uh, Fast and the Furious, uh, to the point they even have uh, they quote the Fast and the Furious at one point. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't know. The villains are okay, I guess. Uh, there is a point where Shazam and everybody have to fight like uh, mythical Greek monsters, which is kind of fun. Like. Cyclops and Minotaurs and fucking Harpies and whatever else. Sounds like it could be fun. Yeah. And the Cyclops is like the old like Ray Harryhausen design, which is kind of fun. Um, Shazam fights a dragon at some point. That's kind of fun. Uh, maybe not as fun as the first movie. Like I said, I feel like there's a couple emotional beats. Well, the first one had it too. I feel like this one is like really laying it on some because you, did you watch the first one? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, you know, Billy's adopted, whatever. First movie was about him coming to terms and maybe not running away from this foster home when he realizes his mom's kind of a garbage person and doesn't need to hold on to that bullshit anymore. Yeah. Uh, so this one, like Mary, who is like the older adopted one is now in college. So she has obviously aged out of the adoption thing, but they obviously love her enough that they didn't kick her out of the house when she turned 18. And uh, there's like a underplot that Billy's going to be 18 in five months and he's really worried that after he turns 18, that they're not going to love him anymore. And I'm like, does this really need to be in here? They they literally did not kick Mary out. At some point, Mary says, they didn't kick me out when I turned 18. They won't kick you out either. And I feel like that's all the evidence you need 
that this doesn't really need to be like a an emotional yeah. through line throughout most of the movie. <clears throat> so that kind of stuff didn't make any sense. And I'm just like, I don't know why they're sort of trying to make this a thing when they've already pointed out that it's not a thing in the movie. So that's fine. Whatever. Um, the comedy is still pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd say if you enjoy the first movie, it's worth a watch, but I don't think it's as good as the first one, unfortunately. Cause I didn't enjoy the first one anywhere near as much as you did. I didn't like when you say, okay, maybe it's the best DC movie. I'm like, well, maybe, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's, I mean, you know, yeah. kind of just you set the bar low enough. Something's going to cross it. Um, at the end of the day, I just kind of feel like I don't have an interest in this one at all. I've watched the trailer a bunch of times because it's playing before everything else I see. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't, nothing about it grabs me. And I feel like, yeah, there was some fun to be had in the first movie, but a lot of it was kind of like the one joke over and over again of he can't figure it out. Like he's naive and he doesn't understand how to use his powers. And I'm like, you're, you're past that now, right? So what do you have left? Yeah, I can see that. Um, I'm also wondering because apparently it did really bad this weekend, opening weekend. I think I saw like I don't know, don't quote me on this, but I heard it's like a 35 million opening or something, and I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. that's not good for multiple hundreds of millions of dollars to make it. No, oh, no, well, that's that's outstanding for your low budget drama. It's yeah. it's surely yeah. not good for. Superhero no. movie. Now for a superhero movie that has Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu in it. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I'm, they're not the, probably the most expensive actors, but I mean. They're not cheap either. No. Yeah. Um, and then all the cast from the first one's coming back, which means they all get more money. So, yeah, I'm wondering, since it did so horribly, I'm wondering if the fact that everybody knows they're rebooting the universe and they don't seem to want to come out and say what the plans for Shazam are going forward. Although the post, they do have a post credit scene that seemed to hint that Shazam will be sticking around. But I wonder if people, since they sort of know that just uh, like, don't care. They're like, Oh, well this movie doesn't matter then. So why am I even going to watch it? I think it's a combination of things. I think some of it is that people, don't know what's going on and they like like what you're hinting at which is they just why should i care about this movie if you're going to reboot with the next movie right or is, i don't know if flash is necessarily the next movie but the I other problem so, becomes yeah. like if you're not if you're not rebooting then what the fuck is this like yeah. Like Marvel goes so far out of their way with their even with their different logos and shit to make sure you know this is part of the MCU. This is canon. You have to understand this. So other stuff over here might not be. DC is such a mess right now that it's like, like if somebody, if you ask an average movie goer, is this connected to the Justice League or not? I don't think they're going to say yes or no. I think they're going to look at you and be mad at you for asking that question because they're not going to have an answer. 
And it's like, honestly, I don't know. And I follow this shit. Like I'm talking to you about it right now and I'm not really sure how it's going to work. And it sounds like you don't know. And I'm pretty sure James Gunn doesn't know. So like, again, if they want, if they want to redo the DCEU, the DCU or whatever their clever rebranding is, right. you've, you've got to call a hard stop and start over. You've got to. And, and they're scared to do that because it would mean going a whole year without making a superhero movie. Yeah. And now there's rumors that they're going to have going forward in the DC universe. They're bringing back a Batman but it's not going to be Michael Keaton. It's going to be somebody else to play Batman. You heard this? No. So like they want to do like a Batman beyond like old Batman training, a new Batman type scenario. But the idea would be to get someone else. Well, who's left? Oh, like it'd be, it'd be George Clooney. That would be it. Yeah. Like Val Kilmer. I don't think can do it. Right. No, he can't. He can't even really talk. Unless I guess. You could, I guess you could work around that. You could write in the script where he can't talk, right? Like you have a, yes. give him a robotic, a robotic voice and have like something attached to him to make it. That's how he communicates. Right. But unlikely. So you're talking George Clooney. First of all, would George Clooney even do that? I don't know. Probably Second not. All, Cause he, who the he, hell wants it. He constantly comments that he's the one who ruined the Batman franchise. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like he would want another. Other no, I, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy that likes being made fun of the like, you know what I mean? He, yeah. I don't think he's completely against it in the sense of like, I think he, he can laugh along with it, but he's not going to go do something that he knows is going to be hated. He likes being loved. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but Christian Bale definitely wouldn't do it. And plus, even no. if he did, would do it, that wouldn't make a lick of sense whatsoever. So, I mean, well, yeah, it's, well, yeah, I'm just saying the Christian Bale Batman doesn't, fit into sounds like anything that they're trying to do so no no i again call a hard quit let you know what call a hard quit let the matt reeves batman trilogy play out and then start your universe again maybe because it also sounds like affleck doesn't even like i I don't think it's going to be him because it doesn't sound like he he wants to come back i think he's officially out yeah i don't I think he, I think com- the thing with Affleck is like it's you know as as a fan of Affleck like I know he's yeah. wanted to play Batman forever like that was his dream like way back when he was like doing mall rats shit yeah and he finally achieved it and for it to have gone as bad as it did yeah and then for him to have been like he put up with their nonsense because he was supposed to get the right direct and star in a Batman movie and then it didn't even happen. He's got to be thinking, fuck you. Like, maybe if, I'll take my paycheck for first a cameo here or there, but I'm not fucking doing this anymore. Yeah. Because yeah. he worked hard for those movies, too. Like, the shape he was in was he was. Oh, it's amazing. He looked very different than he does most of the time. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. He even made a joke about it. I don't know if you rewatched or if you watched the last version of Project Greenlight they did, which was after he got cast as Batman. No, I didn't. Uh, so they did. Yeah, they did. They brought Project Greenlight back, did one season. And of course, it, they never brought it back again. But he is in Batman shape when they're, they're filming. Oh, yeah. And so the first day, like, 
you know, Matt Damon are in there and then whoever else shows up and they're like, Oh, Ben, you look amazing. And he's like, yeah, I was real excited about project Greenlight coming back. So I had to get in shape. (laughs) (laughs) So he's just like making jokes about it and stuff. So yeah, he's, he was in amazing shape. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I feel bad for a lot of the actors because I think, like, when you look at the big three, you look at Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, like, all three of those actors did what was asked of them and are well cast. They look the part. They're, like, for what they were trying to accomplish in this universe, it was good casting. And then they're just all wasted. Like, arguably, Wonder Woman got one good movie out of it. And even that, I I still think, is a highly overrated film, Yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer. It's just so hopefully they fix everything, but I just I don't it doesn't sound like they have the guts to fix it. That there's not the appetite at the top to completely restart. And if they don't completely restart and they you know, oh Shazam's gonna keep coming along, but and they're still yeah. obviously making every decision based on like what was the last box office. You know. That's why Black Adam isn't carrying forward. It's just because it just didn't do well enough. So we're just done with it. And it's like, if you're still making your decisions that way, you can't be building a universe. You can't be doing what Marvel does and announcing three or four projects ahead because you can't make those decisions until you see the box office returns. And it's just, I don't know. It's it's too much of a mess. I, we, it seems like every time one of their movies comes out, we end up having the same conversation about how <laughs> they, they just want, if, if they want to fix it, they can fix it, but they don't have the, the will to accomplish what they need to do. So. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So, so what are we doing next week, Doug? We're going to do the Venturian candidate, but not the one with Denzel Washington in it. Okay. And then we're going to do Man on Fire, but not the one with Denzel Washington. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, bonus points. This bothers me as well because I've been I've never seen Man on Fire and I've been wanting to. And so now I get to watch the movie without the Denzel Washington version. So. That's correct. Yes, I can confirm. I actually saw the Denzel Washington version and I remember really enjoying it. That's what <sighs> got me interested in the remake of it. So, interesting. We'll All be right. watching Man of Fire from 1987. put the actual years by it so we know which one to look up where's the Manchurian candidate was that like the 60s or something uh 62 i think all right but you're not going to mistake the two because you're not going to mistake. you're not going to be looking at the 2000 and whatever film and then in the old version and not sure which one's which so But guess what, Noah? No Denzel Washington movies next week. And he'll be like, what? All right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, no, that means we're watching two movies that Denzel Washington remade, but we're not watching the remakes. He's going to be so confused. I'm a little confused, and I'm pretty sure I'm the one that put this on the list and then selected it. I think this like stemmed from me really enjoying watching movies that were eventually remade by The Rock and like looking for other actors that had remade multiple films. So, sure, why not? I think I just heard Denzel's gonna be the new Gladiator sequel. Oh, that'd be a good excuse to watch uh, 
the original Gladiator when we do our sequel to this episode. So. <laughs> I don't understand how there can be a Gladiator sequel. I don't know. Yeah, because uh, Russell Crowe's not in it. I don't know what the fuck's happening. But... Like, is it just set in the universe kind of thing? And I if so, so, like... I think so, but then does is that even remotely interesting? I don't like I don't I don't understand how the world works anymore though because I still can't ima- I can't believe Avatar two actually came out. I, just, <laughs> I don't even know what the results were from it at the box office, but I like who gave a shit? Like I don't understand. <laughs> Some people did. The three of us on this show did not care, but uh, I still haven't seen the first one. To be honest, I really did not care whatsoever. I, I saw it like in theaters mostly because I was curious about the 3D. And I remember really enjoying the 3D. And then thinking that movie was way too long for what the plot is because it's just a silly action movie. But they decided to make it really, really long. And then in like two weeks later, I completely forgot everything. And then now they're still making sequels like 25 years later or whatever it is. Do you find it, is it like a bummer that we can safely say that James Cameron is going to spend the rest of his life just making Avatar movies? It's not a bummer to me anymore because I'm not interested in James Cameron movies anymore. No. Like, if if James Cameron were to announce that he was going to go back and do something like the first Terminator again, I would be curious, but he hasn't done anything that I'm terribly interested in in so long. And Terminator 1 is still his best film. And then there was that period where he was making movies that are really fun, but are not really good. They're just fun. So you get your Terminator 2s and your true lies in there, right? Um, You don't don't think Terminator 2 is good? I think Terminator 2 is a sequel to a film and immediately starts breaking the rules set forth in the original film. Right? And it, I still don't understand how old John Connor is supposed to be in that movie and however old the correct answer is. That's not how old he comes across in the movie. It makes no sense. Right? So sure. it's it's frustrating from a lot of levels like that. But it is super fun to watch. Like, it's funny. The action's good all that right and then you get like like say true lies you can make the same arguments about it and yeah. then you get like i don't know then we're getting titanic which is just in my opinion a shitty shitty movie with one good action scene in it but it's not an action movie so no i just no he, he doesn't in my opinion james cameron doesn't know how to tell a story he knows how to do good special effects but telling a story yeah. is a strong suit and that's to me that's what filmmaking is is telling a story the special effects are meant to enhance that. Yeah, well, I definitely see your argument and I agree with your evidence. Generally. Like in the, like, in, you know, like, like I say with Avatar and stuff, it's like, yeah, it's the special effects are great. That, that's not enough to get me to become enga- like to become engaged in like a series of films where I'm going to like go back 20 years later. No. Like, I never even wanted to rewatch the first one. Once I couldn't watch it in 3d. Yeah. 
had I bought a 3D TV, I probably would have watched Avatar on it because it would have been cool. But then I would have been frustrated two weeks later when 3D TVs went out of style and <laughs> stopped being able to buy things for them. So. <laughs> That was a weird thing that popped up and made a splash and then just went away. Yeah, a friend of mine was super into the 3D craze. Uh, every movie that came out, he would only watch the 3D version. And I'm like, really? Need to go see this movie in 3D? Like, I, I don't. A lot of the movies, like, like now I will actively avoid the 3D. Because they started doing ever since they started doing that post conversion. Yeah. I've even explained to my kid the concept of post conversion to explain to him why we're not going to see the movie in 3D. <laughs> and he gets it. He's like, oh, I see dad. They just want us to pay more for our tickets. I'm like, yeah. yeah you get we it. Go to more, we can go to more movies if we go less, uh, if we go to the 2D version. He's like, oh, that, that works. Because <laughs> he saw Ant Man in 3D. But then, like, it was funny because his mom took him to see Ant-Man in 3D. This is this is my weird dynamic with my family is, like, I go to pick him up from his mom's house. And he's like, we saw this movie in 3D, Dad. And I'm like, yeah. And he starts talking about Captain America's shield come flying at him. And I'm like, but Captain America's not in that movie, buddy. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, so that's when I explained to him and to his mom. <laughs> it's like, and to his friend who just happened to be there and stuck in our nonsense. I'm like, see... Because the rest of the movie wasn't made for 3D. They made it normally and then converted it after the fact. And that's why it's not. Like, <laughs> that's why the part you remember, the part where the 3D looks best, is in like the opening credits, which were, yeah. I'm assuming, made for 3D. <laughs> but, uh, so you, like, you can't get like your ex to message you back about fucking taxes <laughs> but i'm explaining post-conversion and i'm like i think it only cost like half a million bucks or something to coat to convert a movie afterwards to 3d so of course it's worth it from their perspective I'm explaining <laughs> the economics of this to a five-year-old and my ex who both probably just wanted me to leave uh, she's like this is why we're not together anymore <laughs> you, you understand like please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater Now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.